Welcome back to Clone Dance Party. This is Season 3, Episode 6, Certain Agony of the Battlefield. In this episode, Sarah gets poison, luckily not from the dick. Allison wants to go pro. Cosima has a Kennedy. Rachel has a hobby. Beth just couldn't figure it out. Miller lost. Mark really loves Gracie. Rudy does not like his mother being messed with. And Helena came back. I'm Liz. I'm Janice. I'm Lynette. I'm Sandra. And I'm Katrin. Yay! Yay! Welcome, Sandra and Katrin. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Absolutely. So, Sandra, this is your scheduled appearance. We're so happy to have you. And, Katrin, we called you in for super special Beth Fields. <laughs> I am always happy to provide Beth Fields. So, <laughs> we're glad you could join us last minute. Um, so, this episode. Indeed. Yep. Um, starting Saturday night, I was getting messages are you going to watch live, all this, and then at about 7 in the morning, I got a message from Lynette, did you watch? <laughs> no, I don't work. And then from Shane, and then from Harold, and then, <laughs> and so just work dragged by, and I'm, I'm going to watch, I just, I can't go on the internet right now, I can't look at anything and I have to go home and watch <laughs> and so um it was a big episode yeah I feel uh, yeah. like the episodes I've been on like shit kind of keeps going down <laughs> yeah you pick you pick giant episodes it's way true to go. <laughs> way to go and this one feels like and I said this about episode three this feels season finale yeah, yeah, it does. Did. It, yeah, yeah. Shane, so like Shane said the same thing. He says this sounds like a season finale episode. Yeah. So, I mean, they start. They actually did some stuff up for the next couple of weeks. But what the hell's gonna happen? It seems well, like um, they're. I mean, it, they don't have that many episodes in a season, right? So it seems strange that they're throwing this much at us when you know we have. Four left, right? True, but they killed Leaky in seven. That's true too. Yeah, that's and a he good was thing. he he died and was buried. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, all of that happened. Like, I mean, we didn't even meet Charlotte till the last what ten minutes, right? Yeah. So I mean, like, they're really good at here's a new bomb. Peace out for a year, <laughs> right? Well, so okay. Katrin, what were you going to say? So I was thinking about this, and it did feel like a season finale for sure, but it also felt like a turning point in the show. And, like, thinking about it, it's the writers have pretty much said they want five, ten-episode seasons, right? So that's 50 episodes. This is episode yeah. 20, 26. We're now officially halfway through the series, and I feel like this is a significant change. I feel like the show is going to feel different from here on out yeah this is where uh the shit hitteth the fan <laughs> yes um janice what are your thoughts on this episode well i have to say my first watching i did not like it 
when I okay. watched, when I watched it the second time, I liked it more. I didn't like, uh, I don't know. I, I, what didn't <laughs> I like? Well, I didn't like the fact that Felix was not Felix. I mean, he's still not Felix and that's bugging me. Um, it was, I, I don't know. I guess I just didn't like, um, the way Paul went out. Um, I, I don't know. I can't remember, but my initial reaction was, oh, I do not like this. This is, this is, oh, you know, it was sad. It was morbid. It was a really sad episode. I'm still not um, sure if I like it or not, honestly. I'm still I undecided. Think it's, I think it's great television. Yes. Uh, but I can see where the, like, this might not go down as one of my favorite episodes of anything ever kind of thing, but it will go down as one of the greatest episodes of anything I've ever seen. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Because sometimes I have weird thoughts. Um, but Janice, as to what you were saying about Felix, I actually read a surprisingly good uh, interview with him. And I say surprisingly good not because of Jordan, but because it was done by Playboy. Um, but it was a beautiful, um, interview where he talked a lot about how Jordan and the writers and showrunners and everything are starting to feel a little like, okay, we did Felix as the gay brother, but he is so much more than that. And we need to see all of his sides. And this season he is darker. He is being a little bit more rounded out as opposed to just the very flamboyant sex worker who's everybody's babysitter and therapist. He needs somebody he can talk to and he doesn't have that. He doesn't even have Mrs. S right now because he's been supporting her. You know, he doesn't have that person that he can go to and be like this shit with the fucking clones because all the clones are coming to him. Even he now even has Gracie that he's taking care of. And, you know, he's taking care of Mrs. S. And his niece is in Iceland eating salted fish and seeing glaciers. And his sister is gone. His entire connection to all of this is missing. And she could be dead. And he has no idea where she is. And he is terrified. And so I think that Jordan did a really, really good job of playing that scared. And playing that I am tired of shit not happening and shit not going the way it should. And I told Sarah not to answer the damn phone in the first place. And now here we are. And you, you evil Cyclops, <laughs> tell me what you know so I can find my sister and just go back to being a rent boy who paints pictures. Yeah, no, the Felix stuff in this episode is something I actually really liked about it. I think some of the stuff I don't like is just kind of... I don't know the feel of it and we'll get into more of that later, but the Felix stuff I thought was really great because I like seeing this fiery side of Felix. I think it's fantastic um, because it's, I mean, it comes from a very real motivated place, you know, and yeah, like I'm always thinking of things in wrestling terms, of course, but, but like it's when a character like faces this adversity and he's like, I need to get fire within me or like I need to take more control of the situation because things are so not going my way and it doesn't mean that he's going to turn like to the dark side or whatever but it's it's real well I think I I can agree with you 
Um, I, in terms of the character himself, it's just that I think it helps when there's, there's, there's funny stuff to balance it. And, and I guess we got that from Donnie and Allison, but I miss getting the balance, <laughs> that balance from Felix, first of all. And secondly, do we have to like, all right, we have to have him be more serious. Does he have to have serious hair? Could we please that's, have a little bit more? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, I always, I, I would think he's always played that character as being more, uh, more to him than just what's on the surface. So I've always, you know, thought that Felix was, you know, a lot more capable. I, I, I'm not sure they have to push it so hard with that stupid haircut. He, you know, I think that's, you know, a fail on their part. I like well, his hair. Well, you know, they straightened, they straightened Delphine's hair. So they had, you know, they, they gave her cold bitch hair. They needed to do it for Felix. I feel like, like that's how we, that's really? how we know shit's changing is when their hair changes. I mean, yeah, like, but he's a, he's a business actor. I can tell things are changing. I mean, I can tell there's more going on. He didn't have to do anything to his hair, but oh, whatever. True. You know. It's TV. <laughs> well, and I, I heard George Navarro's uh, actual voice for the first time. It's bizarre, I, isn't it? I still don't know how to process it. <laughs> I'm having emotions I don't know how to feel. It's like hearing <laughs> hearing a spice spice real voice. <laughs> it's like what? No. <laughs> James Barster's voice actually fits him, and when he speaks, you can tell that it's coming out of his head. And after having talked with him and seeing like just what a flirt he is and how schmoozy he is and everything, his actual speaking voice it, it, it really fits him. Jordan oh, yeah. Barris is. It looks like he's lip syncing and there's audio somewhere. <laughs> really? Like it doesn't because it's so tonality is different. Like he's Canadian. There, like he doesn't sound like he's from Britain, but like the tonality is completely different. Like everything is just so so. Like watching him in interviews I'm like they're dubbing that right <laughs> like they're just trying to screw us it's not really his voice because it's just so like the timber is different just like it it causes me to have confusing conflicting emotions and I don't know how I feel about it <laughs> I it is crazy it's like you know Sarah and Allison actually being the same person yeah seriously Speaking of Allison, her and Donnie's dance. Oh, yeah, that was another parents, thing. Guys. I thought we were that done was... with Donnie's underwear. We were oh, not. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least it was blue. <laughs> it wasn't white this time. <laughs> we, got a, we got a question on Facebook from Trav, who's a friend of mine, by the way. Um, he was wondering, does anybody know what the song was? I have no idea. Oh, I don't know. Oh, hey, everybody. Anybody? Yeah, someone... Someone answer that because I don't. Um, that's not my genre, man. I don't really. Me neither. I don't like that. Um, but watching that, and after having seen Sarah, you know, in her weird dream and waking up and puking and all of that, and then switch to Allison, I'm watching that, looking at that, going, "It's not the same person." Mm-mm. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I can't reconcile though. Like I just. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and Donnie was doing good. He had some swagger. He was being all tough guy. Oh, my gosh. Took a couple steps forward. He wasn't being the doofus until he was a giant doofus again. Yeah. yeah. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Donnie is the worst, right? Like, he is the worst <laughs> at this. I don't even the, understand. Things. There's cars everywhere. Yeah, whatever, Donnie. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Cars aren't conspicuous alleys. They're, like, everywhere. <laughs> Oh, Donnie. People who don't have a job and whose wife is running for local office don't go out and put $10,000 down in cash on a 2015 Subaru. I don't know. This whole Donnie and Allison thing, I I don't like it. And it's kind of related to my problems with the series so far. Like, Donnie and Allison Breaking Bad doesn't seem to fit really. And I think you guys talked about it before, how that storyline has been so separate from the rest of the clones and from the rest, like what is going on. And I feel like we're just watching this like other show completely. And I mean, I understand the character motivations, like Donnie killed someone and now he's like high on power or whatever. It just seems like it's so unrelated, and it just kind of opens too many plot holes that don't have anything to do with the series as a whole. Like, when we were seeing stuff with, like, Vic the Dick, that ended up kind of folding into the series, and everything was all intertwined. And this is just like, hey, so we're drug dealers now. Oh, okay, great. Like, Allison running for school trustee. I don't really care about school trustee because that's not relevant to the universe as we're seeing it and it, it doesn't relate to anything so all this shit's going down with like the clones and the protein and all that stuff and then Allison and Donnie are just you know dancing and throwing money on each other and my other question is so they're throwing money around because they're they're mental we know this but why the glitter because <laughs> it's Allison <laughs> yeah what is the glitter bombing about <laughs> Um, to make shit sparkle, and strippers strippers wear glitter. <laughs> Okie dokie. And um, once again, yeah. do you, you want to know how? Yeah. Do you want to know how I know, Jenny? <laughs> <laughs> do I? Um, but no, I'm hoping that in the next four episodes, four or five episodes, we get to see how it ties in. We get to see why them dealing drugs with this drug dealer and, you know, all this, why that ties in, where it makes sense. Because it ha- like it has to. If this plot just stays completely separate, it's going to be, like, the biggest blunder the show makes. Also, um, it would have been cute if Allie had done it in the beginning and then stopped. Like, sold out that supply, got the money, you know, whatever. And then, but the fact that they're trying to go whole hog and buy bubbles, which, side note, looks like a pink unicorn threw up in it. (laughs) Holy crap. Yeah. It's like a pink unicorn threw up cotton candy in it. Seriously. Like, it is just not okay. 
it's like um it's like an angry Victoria's Secret box. Yeah. yeah. It's bad. Like it's just it's not cool. Uh but anyway. Uh yeah, like I just I really hope it ties in. Um Well, I, I hope it does too. The- yeah, did you see the preview? Something bad's going to happen to Donnie, and I'm not happy about that. I am. He deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not only, I mean, being a drug dealer, fine, whatever, but he's so bad at it, right? Like, he deserves to learn. He needs a lesson. Yeah, and, and Allie's high school sweetheart was like, yeah, you ain't ready for this shit. He said he was. He was right. <laughs> yeah. No, I think the the storyline, like, not tying in is one of my problems, and I think it's also kind of indicative of one of my problems with the series. Like I said, like, Orphan Black, even though it's about something that's scientifically impossible and there's all this world going on and all this underground stuff, it still has always managed to maintain realism. And, right. you know, like, I can t- totally believe that there's a Dr. Leakey who's studying clones and being run from behind. Like, that's fine. But it just kind of seems like breaking away and, like, more sensationalism, I guess. And that's kind of the problem I have with the, um, like, Helena and the Scorpion or, you know, and we'll get to Sarah and all that stuff that happened today. But I kind of feel like it's on the precipice of, like, getting too fantastic and not in a good way. Like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's maintaining realism for me and we're getting into more like supernatural or weird territory. And I, I'm kind of afraid of that. Okay. Well, specifically about Helena, Helena eating her imaginary friend as a way to kill it. Psychologically, all the sense in the world. Oh yeah, it does. I just don't and, like and, that it was there. And I think but and I think but I think all of it fits Helena. Yeah. Like for me for me that isn't a stretch. Like that is like, oh yeah, Helena would have an imaginary friend named Belly Button the Scorpion. Like that's not like that to me is more real than Doctor Leaky. Like someone who grew up the way Helena did, having that type of coping mechanism. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Like yeah. that to me. Like, and I'm glad Pupuk is gone because he wasn't a good uh, conscious or imaginary friend or what have you. But, um, like, for me, that's, like, the least fantastical thing about the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I could totally see Helena having an imaginary scorpion friend and all of that. Like, that makes sense to me. I think it's more just the tone of the show as a whole. And if it had just been the scorpion and that was the only thing that would be fine but i don't know i just feel like we're getting into weird territory and i thought it in the season finale of last season too like and at the beginning of this one Kasim was like so kira like you brought me back from death or whatever and it's i don't know i just i don't like that kind of territory really and it kind of like, in this episode at the beginning, when you see Sarah, like, chasing Kira down hallways, does anybody else get Opera House vibes from that? Because I know the Cylon is dead, but, <laughs> <laughs> like, we're chasing a child with magic blood down corridors, right? Yeah. <laughs> Kira, um, Kira. 
Just saying. <laughs> um, for me, both dream sequences um, kind of bring it back to, like, one of the themes that has happened through, like, the show thus far is that the small and the childlike say the most truth. Um, and so having Sarah's weird sickness induced dreams be hosted by the tiny humans among them kind of makes sense. And I don't feel like they were anything supernatural um, <clears throat> in both cases. Like, she was starting to get sick and then quite possibly near death. And I think that um, specifically the Kira dream was her subconscious, like trying to show her what happened in the same way that she thought she had dreamed weird people had come into the bedroom and were probing her, except she spit out a probe and knew it was real. This time she woke up and had the Band-Aid from where they had infused or used blood into her. But... One of the things that, you know, everyone's like, oh, Kira's for it, whatever. Like, that was Sarah's subconscious saying something is important from Kira's fort. I thought that, too. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, like, the fort. Where are, yeah. Where's that canister? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, the fort was super important, and Sarah doesn't see that yet. Um, and then her dream with Charlotte which I'm going to guess it's Charlotte and not one of the clones as a child. I thought it was yeah. Rachel. Wasn't Rachel wearing that plaid dress? Oh, see, that's true, too. That's why I was bringing it up. But so Charlotte or mini Rachel, um, like, again, it's just out of the mouth of babes. And I think Sarah was giving herself a pep talk. And the only person who has gotten out of this is the person who supposedly jumped in front of a train. So I think she was trying to, like, reconcile, like, I stepped into this woman's shoes to find the answers and to fix our sisters. And I haven't done that yet. I'm failing. I'm dying in this camp and no one's going to find me. And these male clones are perpetrating some really weird shit. And I don't know how to fix it. And I need someone to tell me it was just her subconscious. Yeah, that part of it does make sense. I think it's just that, like, I just don't like the tone of the show where it's going. It doesn't mean that I don't don't like it, but it just, I don't know. I I always get nervous with stuff like this because it could go wrong very, very quickly. And just, I don't know, I feel like we're kind of at that tipping point, and I hope we kind of bring it back for the rest of the episodes. And, you know, Orphan Black, I I have faith in Orphan Black. Orphan Black can do it. But um, I... What you're saying about Beth and her subconscious is really interesting, especially because weren't they in Siobhan's kitchen? Yes. Yeah. With uh, Helena drawings on the fridge. Right. So I was like, yeah, you would think that she would see Beth at Beth's place. They probably don't have that set anymore, but like that would no, make I the think, most sense. No, I think, I think Sarah saw Beth at home. Her and home, And Siobhan's yeah. place is home to Sarah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense, yeah. Like, I mean, I like a lot of the elements of the dreams. I like a lot of the things that it means. I think my concern is just for the series as a whole and how I'm not really sure what's going on. But I'm more than happy to be on the journey. Yeah, I'm really excited to have a show that I truly don't really know what's going to happen next. Like, that that makes me happy. Yeah, because it's, you know, 
it's working. It's being effective. Okay, so since we brought up the dreams, Katrin. <laughs> okay. Um, well, as um, most of you may have figured out, I really, really love Seth. And um, I was actually spoiled that she was going to appear in this episode. I was spoiled on almost everything that happened in this episode, actually. So that was kind of disappointing. That's unfortunate. It really was. But, um, so, when, uh, someone basically said online, Beth is going to appear, most likely as a hallucination, and they also said that Paul dies, so I assumed it would be Paul's hallucination, and I'm really glad that it wasn't, because I feel like that scene told us a ton about how Sarah sees Beth, and a lot about Sarah. Um, there's just obviously so much guilt in Sarah for what happened to Beth and for everything that she did um, after she took over Beth's life. And that I feel told us a lot and was a really important and good scene. And it was also just like, really, really, it was a really good scene. Like I was just watching it and there were just tears streaming down my face because it was so well done. And I also think that either the writers have been reading Beth-centric fanfiction or fanfic <laughs> writers just nailed the characterization because what they were it was so good. Like, they characterized Beth pretty much the same way fanfic writers do, which was, which was nice. I'm yeah, like, they, they, they really did. Um, and I could totally see Beth being a really good cop. Yes. She was such a cute little hard ass. And I just, I thought that scene was great and really important. And while I hope that's not all we get of Beth uh, going forward, if that is all we get, I think, I think that was good. Yes. And I will go on record saying that that does not prove that Beth is dead. It was a hallucination. Right. And that's, and that's Sarah's feelings and emotions. Yeah, we saw how Sarah, Sarah sees Beth. We didn't exactly. really see there Beth. Was, there was, exactly. There was nothing to uh, denote that it was um, real in any way. And so Beth lives. Hashtag <laughs> Beth lives. 2K15. Well, what struck me so much about how she's perceived Beth is the deep sadness that came from Beth. It was just really striking. Uh, I'm just really, and she just played it very well. And that was really what I felt was just this real soul, deep sadness from her. It was very sad. It, like, I'll be honest, I've never liked Beth, like, ever. I don't think she and I are people who would necessarily get along. We're probably too strong in personality or whatever. And I, I don't know. And this episode kind of, made me realize, no, I still don't think I like her, but I love seeing more of her, I think. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. I don't think I'm explaining myself very well, but... Well, have you have you guys noticed that all these people that we don't really like, we felt sorry for in this episode? Even though we, didn't, yeah. we don't really like them? <laughs> I mean, I felt sorry for Rachel. I felt sorry for Paul. I yeah. mean, yeah. Yeah. I really just wanted to scoop Rachel up and hug her. Mm-hmm. I do not know how to feel about Rachel because, like, everything is indicating, like, I want to feel sorry for her, but then at the same time I'm just thinking, okay, 
if that pencil hadn't gone through her eye, would she still be trying to kill all the people I love? Probably. And then I just become very confused. about. Yeah, I'm with you, Katrin. I still kind of wanted to hit her. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, But I think with who Rachel is and the way Leaky brought her up, um, she would need something large to um, shake her out of being uh, the owner of Cold uh, Cold Bitch Digest. Like, we needed, she needed something um, to, to bring her away from the dark side, as it were. Uh, so whether it was this or whether it was her uh, getting clone sumption or whatever, uh, something big was going to have to happen to Rachel in order for her to come to the good side. And this, this shit isn't going to get solved until all of Lita that we know about is on the same page. Um, and I think Rachel's words to Felix get me out of this place. I think that's hugely important. I think that Rachel knows that she needs to get away from Dr. Nealon and to get with her sisters. I also think that she suffered uh, brain damage and those, those barriers and filters that she had before to guard against everything. She doesn't have that anymore. She is basically uh, in a childlike state now. And I think, I think that that makes it her more vulnerable and it, uh, it did make me feel sorry for her. I felt really, I just wanted to uh, pull her into my lap and give her some snuggles and maybe some chocolate milk. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene was just so powerful. Yeah. I mean, you know, Felix being threatening, he's pretty threatening, but her reaction, uh, you know, she was really upset by it. And that is not something Rachel would have, it wouldn't have faced her one bit before, you know. No, and I think what really added to it was uh, Scott in the background. Yes. Scott did an amazing job being the terrified guy in the background. That's true. He did do that well. And I think that that really added to the intensity mm-hmm. of, because it wasn't just Rachel who was scared of Felix. Scott was scared of Felix. And mm-hmm. if Scott had been back there, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, just, kind of casual and relaxed and like yeah we've got time whatever like it wouldn't like the scene wouldn't have felt as scary and dramatic but because scott was like holy shit he's like stop it we have to go like this isn't okay like it made it it made it more um intense and terrifying yeah and i think when um when felix says to rachel because she she tries to have scott go get dr neelan or whatever and when felix is like no one's coming for you. You know, do you understand? Because no one cares. You could see in her face that that was like terrifying. And you could see in Scott's face too, that he was like, I feel like I should go get Dr. Neeland because this is not what's best for this person. However, I'm super stuck and I don't know what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I agree with you on that, but I'm glad he didn't get Dr. Neeland because Dr. Neeland is totally a bad guy. Yes. Um, oh, speaking of bad guys, top side. Yeah, top side. Oh, what? yeah, six six hours. Yeah, right. 
Well, no, Topside isn't the six hours. Topside is Delphine and who Rachel was oh, the head of. Oh, oh, that's um, Delphine has been working for Topside. Mm-hmm. Topside is the bigger umbrella conglomerate evil company, whatever that owns Dyad or runs Dyad or Illuminati, whatever. Um, but yeah, Topside. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know how much we're ever going to find out about Topside. I doubt we'll ever find out as much about it as we did Dyad. But, like, you really kind of want to know who's pulling the strings. I have to know. I know, I know. I feel like it'll just keep bringing up more questions than answers. But I thought it was really interesting that Delphine and Topside, whoever they may be, wherever they may be, were looking at the samples that Kasima and Scott, like running and whatnot and like the fact that they compared and found the protein in both um seth's brain and gracie's system they're obviously like that's a lot of scientific work that they're doing when you know there is no real reason to compare those two samples like scott said yeah like what even Uh, are they doing i'm I'm intrigued i want to know more too i just don't know if they're going to give it to us i want to know more yeah but i guess it's a good thing they did compare good information for people to have it is and science oh my god the science and dr cody that bitch (laughs) good riddance blowing her up i really hope she blowed up she better have blowed up I didn't hope so, but that seems unlikely. Yeah, yeah I, I really up. feel like it, you don't think she blew it up? No. I feel like I mean, if I, she I, had I, been I, blown up, we would have seen it. Yeah. yeah. We would have seen her and Rudy actually being damaged, yeah. and we didn't, yeah. which leads me to assume they're fine. Yeah. I have a, I have a problem with a, an explosion that doesn't kill them but manages to damage the tunnel that Sarah's in. But okay, fine. That's what but, I was um, just thinking too. <laughs> yeah, that's but, why I was thinking I like think, they have to be blown up. Right, but I I don't think they are. They're they're going to be around to make more trouble. <sighs> Probably. Well, yeah. at least Rudy. Um, yeah, he'll he'll be like hell bent on avenging his mommy. Oh God. Kind of yeah. So, did anyone notice the pictures in Cody's office? Yeah. No. Oh, it was very interesting. There's one. There was one picture of four little boys, mm-hmm. and then there was another picture of just one boy. Yeah, I was super intrigued by that too. Yeah. And yeah, that one little boy was Rudy, and the others yes, were the other yes. four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and is that the only Mark-faced clones? Or are there others? God, I hope these are the only ones. Well, I mean, it's... I feel like, I feel like since she, since she raised them, having, like, a platoon of them seems kind of unlikely. And especially since they were bred to be weapons. Didn't she say? Or they were made, they were made to be weapons. That I think that having, like that many of them would be unrealistic to control. Didn't she say? I, I can agree with on. you on that. But I feel like, you know, there have been other, you know, we, we, you know, when Rudy kills Seth, you know, he says, you know, I won't let 
that happened to you? And right, we, so maybe we felt like there was, there was there were you know that this had happened before that people had glitched and either they had been shot or they had been you know um, experimented on. So it seemed to me there have to be at least a few more. But well, and when Rudy did kill Seth, he when he was defending his actions to Virginia, he said, "I followed protocol," which means there right. is a protocol, which means there's precedent. Right. And didn't, right. So. Katrin, what were you going to say? Didn't Cody say early on she was talking to Lahaina, like, I have kids, now I have more than I can count? Like, yeah, probably a yeah, lot of Yeah, you got them. the feeling it was more than five. Okay, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just, I hope there's not more, because I want them to go away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, since there is that precedent, they could have started glitching a lot younger. Hmm. I mean, yeah, well, true. it seems that way since they are significantly younger than the lead of clones and they're already are they? so damaged. Well, it said in season two that Mark was 19. Like, oh. Henrik said at one point to him, look at you, just 19, and all you've done for your country. I don't know if that was part of his story to Henrik, but they said that at one point. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't remember that. Yeah, so I think I think the, the caster guys are younger. Um and, yeah, there could have been a lot of them, and they could have glitched a lot younger uh, and caused this precedent to have that protocol. Um, but to have it be contagious from the men's side but not from the women's side, I think is really interesting. It is really interesting. I'm very confused by the science, and I don't know if that's because I don't understand science or if it's because the science doesn't make sense. Well, so in procreative sex, when the – I'm going to get really scientific here, guys. When the penis enters the vagina and then ejaculates, a lot more fluid leaves the penis – then can leave a vagina. That's just kind of not how they're built. Like, they don't really spit stuff. And uh, the vagina is a, a big hole that leads to inside the body. The big hole on a man's penis is very, very tiny, and it's the urethra, and it's a lot harder for stuff to get up a urethra than it is for stuff to get up a vagina. So there are some um, STIs and STDs that if a woman has, it's less likely for a man to get because having stuff go up a urethra doesn't happen very often. It's not that it's not possible. It's just that it's less likely than something going inside a vagina because vaginas were kind of built for things to go up as well as out. And so the fact that the guys can ejaculate this poison means that I'm going to guess the women excrete it, but it would have to enter the man's bloodstream. And that's a lot harder to do unless they have sores. Yeah, that's true. Does that, did that help Katrin? Somewhat. Okay. I, I think for me, it's questions. just interesting, like how the protein affects certain parts of the body because it caused like the, or, uh, no, I can't even speak today. Um, it caused the ovaries to atrophy. 
And yeah, it caused the atrophied ovaries. Yeah, like I'm curious to know, women. like, how specific can that be to ovarian tissue versus, like, other tissue? I just, I don't know the anatomy of it, I guess. But I just think it's really interesting that they're sterilizing women and not sterilizing men. Yeah. Um, and the Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do we know diet? that the men are, are, are not sterile? Well, if they have sex with a woman, then the woman's ovaries atrophy, and seemingly we don't know if it does anything to the men. I mean, they, they probably are sterile, but as a backup plan, so is the woman they, they fuck. Mm-hmm. Right, and also um, with – hold on, my thought got jumbled. So the reason it's sterilizing women – and the I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Castor is sterile for the same reasons that Lita is sterile. You can't have your experiment procreate because uh, procreation is different than replication. You want your study to be able to replicate. You don't want it to procreate. Um, so I'm going to say that Castor is sterile. Uh, and even if they're not, even if they don't, produce viable sperm uh making the women that they sleep with sterile kind of makes it so they can't have kids right right and if they were to engage in same sex or same gender sex the men that they have sex with would then get the brain glitch but it wouldn't sterilize them right unless the brain unless the brain glitch is in a pituitary gland or in that part of the brain. Well, it could sterilize them. It could sterilize the, the men they have sex with. I mean, well, but, but it's possible. It is possible, but it's highly unlikely because um, the the disorder, this protein, affects male brains and female epithelial cells. So since that's two different kinds of tissue, it's unlikely that if Rudy were to have sex with Paul, that Paul would become sterile because it's not going to affect uh, Paul's epithelial cells. It's going to affect Paul's brain cells. Well, if you really want to think about it, though, your ovaries uh, are just simply, you know, the gonads and the ovaries are actually from the same thing. You know. No, no, absolutely. But with the men, it affects their brain right. for whatever reason. That Y chromosome connects to sending that protein to brain cells, whereas the double X, it sends it to epithelial cells. Okay. So it, it bonds with the body differently in men and women. So you think it bonds with chromosomal rather than... I'm thinking so, because, because there's no reason for it to attack female epithelial cells and male brain cells unless there is a specific DNA marker that it hits, which would be the X chromosome versus the Y chromosome. Ah, okay. Katrin, did I confuse you more? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I thought it was really interesting, too, that, um, did you guys look at the logbook? Because... Uh, vaguely, yeah, I didn't, like, pause it and go through it. Okay, I did. Um, in the preview from last week's episode, you saw a woman who was 34. I didn't pause on that one, but... 
when Paul hands the book to whatever his name is on the bench, they it shows him flipping and you can see two different pages. One of the women, Julia something, I think was her name, was 30 years old. But the one that they actually look at, Nancy Brown, and like they settle on that for a minute, she was 16. I did not see that, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 16 years old. That was old. a really good noise. That's not good. No, who are, the, the moan, the oh. That, that was, was me. Yeah. That was yeah, I know. That was an appropriate that was an appropriate noise. Yeah. When I saw that, like I mean not that this is okay in any sense of yeah, the word, no. but like a sixteen year old girl. Yeah. And um I am going to continue to say that Mark knew that something wasn't okay when Castor Boys had sex, which is why he was hesitant to have sex with Gracie. I don't know if he knew that it wasn't okay. I, I think he knew that they were keeping log books and he didn't want to have her logged. No, I think that he knew that the log, bo- log books were for some kind of science. And he yeah. wasn't okay with that. I think he knew that. I don't think he knew that Gracie would get sick. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me he might not know that because he's been gone a long time. And because they discuss, they discuss Paul's timeline and how long Paul has been gone. And what happened, happened after Paul was gone. Yeah, that's Paul's right. Paul's been gone, like, like I don't they know. They like, months? Yeah. 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 And Mark was there for, for over a, a year, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, yeah, I think, I can't remember what, what reason I have for Mark being, um, not wanting to have sex with Greasy, but but I don't think it's because he knew this, because he would have been gone too long. Well, and I think it could have been just like, I mean, for Mark to fall in love with Gracie, that was a really difficult inner conflict on his part, because this was supposed to be a mission, and this was supposed to be a job, and he's fallen in love with this woman, and I think it could just still be him being conflicted, because once he had sex with her, then it was super real. Yeah, it's a consummated marriage, then you can't exactly all it. Right. So, I mean, I wouldn't be, I don't know, I would understand it if he was just like, I don't know if I want to make this so real if, you know, the caster people are still looking for me, and I don't, like, he probably just, it could have been just like an inner emotional conflict, too. And he did have to burn the tattoo off of his arm before he was willing to have sex with her. That's true. Because he looked really, like, shocked and devastated when he heard, like, what, we're making them sick? Yeah, he was really upset. And I think you could see on Paul's face, he was, like, testing him and, like, did you know about this? And when Mark, you know, came up to Paul at the end, too, and was like, sir, make it right, I don't think Mark knew. Okay. I don't think he knew either. He just didn't act like he knew. Okay, I could see that. Oh, yeah, another person I felt sorry for, Mark. And I didn't feel sorry for him last season. No, I really felt bad for Mark. Um, I actually think Mark is going to come over to the Lita side. I think so, too. I would think so. If he made it out, I think he's going to go, he's going to go straight to Siobhan's house because everybody fucking knows where Siobhan's house is. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they do. Everybody does. There is some sort of, like, 
Harry Pozzard, Harry, Harry Pozzard, really? (laughs) (laughs) Harry Potter wizard, um, like, anti-cloaking spell on her house. Like, I think there's just flares above her house. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that say Siobhan Sadler is here. Like, that's what I think. Like, the mark that Gandalf put on Bilbo's house in The Hobbit. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. There you go. Uh. Well, and I think that Mark joining the Lita side of things makes a lot of sense story-wise, too, because Cosima is helping Gracie, and I want to see Gracie and Mark reunited. And so it makes sense that he would be like, okay, well, because, I mean, Mark has been used to being studied his whole life, so I think it would be incredibly logical for him to say, you know, if you need more evidence or whatever like i'm willing to undergo tests and whatnot because mark also has the danger of glitching so helping to cure lita could help to cure caster and try to figure out what's going on and the answers seem to be in dr moreau and rachel's head yeah because rachel was painting uh some weird shit yeah, yeah. So what do we think? Does Rachel know she knows the code? Was it something that was brought out because of her injury? Um, I think it's something that uh, Duncan was teaching her. And she doesn't know what it means. And she doesn't, because he used to read The Island of Dr. Moreau with her. Mm -hmm. So she's seen the book. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't think she really realized it, and now it's just kind of this, like, subconscious. Um, right. Like, in Dollhouse, when um, Alpha was becoming, Katrina knows exactly what I'm going to say, when Alpha was becoming self-aware, he was drawing little alphas on stuff, which looks like a fish, and everybody thought he was just putting a fish on everything. But he was actually doing the Greek letter for Alpha, Signing his name. He was becoming, yeah, he was signing his name as he was becoming self-aware. So I think that that's kind of what Rachel is doing. Like, she's becoming aware. Self-aware seems like the wrong word, but she's kind of becoming self-aware in a different way. I'm just kind of confused, because Duncan, from what I could tell, gave Kira that book to keep it from Rachel, right? So, But if the code is something only Rachel can figure out, that confuses me. Well, he maybe he didn't, I mean, he didn't trust Rachel to do the right thing with it, and I assume he figured that Cosima would be, would be able to figure it out. If, well, and it could have been I, because, I mean, Rachel was very young, so it could be that she knew the symbols from seeing the book, or, like, they could mean something else. They could be a game or something like that. Because when she was painting the symbols, not only was she painting the same one, she was painting them in the same location, like, as mm-hmm. where they would be in the book because Scott looked at it and, like something along the top was there and like that seven thing in the corner and so it you know it has something to do with her father because she was looking at the picture of her father as she was painting but I don't think Rachel knows that their game or language or whatever it is I don't think she knows that that has anything to do with the cloning and the potential cure yeah right. no I completely don't think um, I don't think she realizes what it is. I think it's going to be, as I said earlier, all of Lita needs to get together 
and actually have a conversation where they don't lie to each other and keep shit from each other. Right. Seriously. Kasima needs to throw down um, Moreau in the middle. Helena needs to say, hey, has anybody seen my babies? Uh, <laughs> Allison needs to be like, so I'm selling drugs. Felix, I'm your new hookup. Kasima, <laughs> uh, too. And, yeah, and put everything together and have I also them think all look at it. I'm just kind of at this point, like, they need to show Delphine that book. Like, I know they can't totally trust her, but, like, I feel like they can't she can't probably... can't trust at all. I know, but she could help, and she would. Yeah. She would help, and then she would immediately call Topside. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. She told Leaky fucking everything. Join us for part two. Hi, I'm Nucha, the host of Nutty Bites. And hi, I'm Tech, Nutty's regular guest. Or antagonist. Our podcast is like a call-in show where geeks get to debate topics about speculative fiction. We don't really debate. Sure we do. We debate topics such as lame superpowers, the best villains, and our favorite apocalypses. We're more of like rant, rave, and then have massive nerd rages. People call in from all over the world, sometimes minor celebrities, and we've even had some supervillains show up. Do you ever notice that you never have any superheroes or good guys? I'm a good guy. Compared to what? Mm, antagonist. Not really a guest. Nutty Bites, nimwest.org, 